Scaling brands need influencer content, but the best brands have influencer communities, which provide a constant stream of high converting social content to test in your ads week in and week out. Access Aspire IQ's more than 6 million creators and influencers and start building your brand's influencer community today. Find out why Forrester recognized Aspire IQ as a leader in influencer marketing solutions. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick and today I'm very excited to be diving into the $30 billion workwear industry with D2C disruptor, Brunt Workwear founder, Eric Girard. Welcome to the D2C Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, no, we're, I'm really excited about this. It's, such, it's, it's, an, it's an area of D2C that I hadn't even thought of, but then when I looked up the size of the industry, I was like, what an incredible opportunity. Can you tell me the story of, of the brand? Yeah. So, so I've been in D2C, uh, well, I've been in e-commerce for, you know, almost my entire career, but then D2C for, I don't know, probably six or seven years in a bunch of different categories, all the expect, expected kind of fashion categories and, and CPG categories that you've seen. <clears throat> and, um, always knew I wanted to start my own company, had been a co-founder of a bunch of businesses and in, in the early days, but but really wanted to do my own thing from, this, from the get-go when I had the experience. And the idea for, for Brunt came to me naturally. Um, you know, I grew up in a blue-collar household. My dad worked at Pratt & Whitney building airplane engines on an assembly line and then and worked weird shifts. So he'd actually get off work at like 11 and then would go roof in the afternoon and then on weekends as well. So true, true, tried and true blue collar household um, in, in the town I'm from. A lot of the folks go into the blue collar trades. I had a knack for business in high school, started like, you know, a bunch of like small little side gigs and, and started a landscaping company and, and thought I was going to do that actually after high school. But my mom kind of noticed that knack for business. So I ended up going off to college, which was a little bit of an unusual, um, you know, probably 50% of the folks from my town go off to college. And um, yeah. And then, but stayed my best friends from growing up all went into the trades. They directly right out of high school, stayed friends with them. So as I was coming home from, from college winters and summers was hanging out with these guys and these guys were like buying houses and trucks. And I was like accumulating a massive amount of debt at, you know, <laughs> at the wonderful college of Babson that I, that I love up here, but I uh, was like, wow, this is just a totally different game than this I is thought. This not how Goodwill hunting went at all. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, like them apples. Exactly. <laughs> So, so that kind of opened my eyes like, wow, there's a different way, you know, trades kind of had a bad reputation. You know, it's like the last resort type thing coming out of high school. But then I saw it, it was like these guys are owning homes or starting families or buying trucks or buying boats. And uh, so anyway, so, so continued on, went on, you know, throughout my career, got into e-commerce, joined an early stage entrepreneur, uh, serial entrepreneur who started Lids, the baseball cap company store. Then I joined him at Rulala, which is where I cut my teeth. And then we went on to start a bunch of businesses together. But full circle, I was at my bachelor party five years ago up in New Hampshire riding ATVs with my buddies from home. And I had all these Italian shoes for the business I was working on at the time and was giving them to them for free. And they like weren't wearing them. And I was like, why aren't you wearing these shoes? These shoes are like $500. And 
And they're like, we don't wear like dainty loafers like ever. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, I wear my work boots. I'm like, well, what about on the weekend? You know, do you like kick off your work boots and throw on like some, they're like, no, I wear my work boots seven days a week. And, and, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's crazy consumer behavior. And, and then, and then I was like, well, how many pairs, you know, if you wear them seven days a week, like how, and they're like, yeah, I go through a couple of pairs a year and I'm like, oh man, that's like crazy e-commerce like metrics. And they're like, yeah, you know, we always wondered why, you know, you don't start a business for us. You know, you start, you're starting all these fashion businesses, like let's create a new brand. And so it, that was five years ago. I was like, the, interesting. I couldn't sleep for a few weeks, but kind of put it in the back shelf. And then three years later, about two years ago, I decided I was leaving this venture builder, building a bunch of these companies and was going to start my own. And that's when I pursued the idea for what is now Brunt, which is all right. That, that was a big idea. Wasn't sure how to enter the market, the pricing, the product, the category, or anything, but knew it was the space I wanted to go after. Um, what do these boots cost typically? Like, what what are these boots that people are buying two a year? The car hats, I guess, like some of these like eight, super old brands. Yeah. So 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 there's the market's crazy. So it ranges from Walmart seventy nine dollar boots, Herman Survivor, to what's more common is Red Wing and Thoroughgood and, and the higher end brands, not the highest highest custom boots, but generally they're north of two hundred. And so there's a big, for, for a premium work boot, for someone that's going to invest in their feet and their body and take care of themselves, which is a good good portion of the market, um, north of 200 bucks, right? right. And, and then you have the bottom of the market, 79 and below, but you're they're changing their boots every two months and they're they're using their cash flow and their biweekly pay cycles to keep, you know, it's a different me- mentality. And wearing their bodies down potentially by not having the I- right support. Uh, from, from from a quality boot. So just talk about the product for a second, because I'm a shoe guy. I, I I love shoes. I love shoe silhouettes. You've been in the shoe game for a really long time, which is interesting. How yep. did you go about like making this boot that was going to be both functional that these people, you know, that your friends wanted to wear? Yeah. So we looked at what, you know, <clears throat> what I knew is we weren't going to come in and like create like a moon boot, like something that no one's ever seen before and like win the market. We weren't going to like because the customer is not going to, you weren't going to win them over on that anyways. And so we looked Tesla at truck. You're not going to do the yeah, Tesla yeah, truck. Exactly. of work boots. It's not going to be the Tesla truck. Exactly. And, and that's a big bet scenario. Maybe one out of a million will hit that, but like very unlikely. So we looked at the market, looked at all the styles, all the silhouettes, and then looked at market penetration by the styles and silhouettes of like what sells the most. Cause there's in, in work, you can get very niche boots for very niche things that, mm. um, I won't get into any, but you get very small market share, but great boots. But I wanted to address the largest market share silhouettes that I could. And so that's kind of where we netted out. And we have two styles. Uh, we have our Marin boot, um, which is a classic mock toe, right? So aesthetically, aesthetically very classic, but we put a ton of technology into them that aren't in the other boots, right? So classic look, beautiful leather is it just a crepe sole or is it like is there a new kind of crepe because i have i have crepe that like wore down really quickly on my red wings yeah so so what we did was so uh, we actually skinned our soles with three millimeters of rubber because normally it's an eva sole the eva wears down really fast yeah so the biggest complaint is the soles wear out fast so we we solved all the pain points right the biggest pain points are the soles wear out fast so we not only we skinned them with three millimeters of rubber, well, two in the middle, but three in the back and then yep. along the front where they really wear out. So the whole thing is rubber. So we solved the issue of the sole wearing out really fast. Um, we solved the issue of the insoles and the comfort and all this stuff. But so we had two two classic silhouettes with a bunch of technology on the inside, right? Okay. Invisible technology, very different than visible technology where we then created two SKUs 
that are more on the cutting edge of the market. These are the future of the market. Visible technology in the outside. Safety toe, clearly visible on the outside. Protection for guys who are on their toes or knees, rubbing over, burning through the toes. Bunch of stuff going on. And then this is really the future of the market. This is like if Nike or Under Armour were to make a work boot. It's, it's abrasion-resistant mesh, super flexible, super light, super comfortable. It has that safety toe. Um, and is really like, we may be early on this by a year or two, but like, it's the future of the market. It's, why, you know, why would you say you're early? Just because it's a look that people aren't, aren't as accustomed to? Um, because the market that's adopting this is re the really young tradesperson Ooh. that grew up wearing Nikes and Air Force Ones. And, you know, my dad and my grandfather grew up wearing this. And so there's the, 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 the guards are changing from growing up wearing heavy leather boots to wearing fly knits and Air Force Ones. And that one's lighter. That one's a good amount this lighter. Is, this is the lightest boot. Well, we have a low top version. This is like the lightest boot like you've ever had. Like it's shockingly light. And so so that younger customer, which hasn't yet taken over the market, is growing up and they want to wear this. They don't want to wear the hunks of leather. You're ahead generally. of the game a little bit. That's exciting. So, yeah. I mean, the, everyone's trying to dabble in it, but um, and they know it's coming. It's just, and this will, this is going to sell for, you know, the next 20 years. It's just, that's going to take, that's going to take over because the amount of technology, the, for the weight, the technology, the comfort, it's like, you can't beat it. It's like, you're wearing basically like a, you know, literally like a Nike or an Allbirds to work. So you got a $30 billion industry. You've got all these legacy brands that you've got your, your grandfathers, your uncles, you know, who, who and you probably got some, some upstart brands as well. Uh, yep. Are there any other really focusing on D to C the way you guys are? There's, I mean, there's, a, if you look at anything, there's, there's, small uh you know mom and pop startups like no one's uh so there's the big players right as you call it all the big names you know they've been around huge companies huge infrastructure a lot of money big teams and there's no one that's really taken a real swing at the d2c like we are there's a bunch you know it's it's easy to make um really hard to make boots so first and foremost, you need you need a lot of expertise or a lot of capital or a lot of relationships. That's, whatever that's why I don't feel you're afraid like showing all this technology. I'm like, oh, he's giving all his secrets away. But I, like, I, it must take like, uh, yeah, it must be a lot to make. Very those. hard. Yeah, yeah. Two two years to get these boots to where they are. And, and so I have no problem someone trying to replicate this because good luck. Good luck. Um, but, but then you see it in the apparel side, really easy to make a piece of apparel, right? So a work t-shirt or, so there's a bunch of like Shopify businesses out of a basement that, but no one's taking as big as big of an approach with as thoughtful of an approach with the intention and the vision that I think we have, which is to like build a, you know, a monster in the space, not just a, let's see what we can build and maybe we can make some money on the side. What I'm interested too, I think you have the potential to do what, like you see car, Carhartt and, and Red Wing, for instance, they've really like moved even into the fashion market. Like, yep. I mean, you say, I didn't, you know, these guys wear them on the weekends. That's how this, that's how this started. They wear them out to the bars. They wear, you know, they wear their stuff out and Brunt has that exact same potential, but even more so because it's more of an intimate brand, you know? Yep. Yep. And that's, the, and that's the thing is, is I, um, I say the day we, we go mainstream is the day we sell out, but, but so a little bit like Yeti is like, everything we make like we don't make anything that's a fashion boot everything has a safety toe right no one that's going out to the bar on a friday night if they're wearing these doesn't needs a safety toe in the boot they're slipping oil resistance in the rubber they're eh rated for electricity um they're triple air waterproof so like but you might get lucky where the mainstream customers like i need all that stuff mm. to like mow my lawn on saturday yep and they don't but but like 
they, they think that it's a little bit like everyone in the country carries a Yeti cup around that could keep ice for two weeks, but you're drinking your coffee in like the first 45 minutes. You actually didn't need that at all. Um, and so, so maybe, maybe we'll catch wind, but, but I'm, I stay very focused on our core customers. What do they need? What are the most, the real workers actually need to do their jobs on a daily basis. And if other people tack onto it, great, but, but like we need to deliver real product that supports them. Nice. Okay. So we, we, we jumped ahead to the product here, but one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about was how you launched this business. How you gauge the interest? How you how you you you've got your friends, which have been you know an amazing sounding board, I'm sure. But how yep. did you go about launching this business before you had product? Yeah. So uh, so there was there's so it was a two year process of of one was I needed a you know starting developing this product was two was almost two years ago. So that was early on, which was my friends and, and so we did anecdotal feedback from my friends that kind of gave me some instinct, but then we did. Um, but then we did real research, we hired an agency that went out and did real qual, uh, did qualitative research. So people that I didn't know, because they, they, a lot of people will tell you answers that you want to hear, not, not what you need to know. And so they went out and talked to people in the age range we were going after, the demographic we were going after, but then went up a little bit in age, down a little bit in age, all across the country to make sure there's no geographical regions to come up with a thesis for what we were building and how we were building it. Then that, Then we did quantitative so high volume took the the what we learned I, you know i had a lot of instinct but instinct is very dangerous then we did high volume you know google surveys to validate were those findings actual or were they just the sample size we touched were um was too small or too biased or whatever it is and then so that was kind of like the research of like the thesis for the business and, and, and even some starting to learn about product, about how they how they don't resold their boots and how they just throw them out. And so you can spend a bunch of money developing a product that has a resellable, you know, Goodyear well, but you're going to cost the customer an extra, you know, 10 bucks, but they actually don't even use this, the, the reason the entire thing is built. Right. So things like that, that a lot of brands will do. It seems to make sense, but it doesn't in reality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so. And so we then, so then we went from there and then, and then we went into, and then the real product development was we identified the silhouettes that we want to go after, but then went in, into the customer job sites and then customers. And what's your biggest problem with that boot that you're wearing right now? What's the thing you love the most? Okay. So then we fix the things that are wrong and the things that they don't even mention, right? Goody, well, things of these nature that cost money, we didn't put in the fluff so that the cost can go through the roof for things that they didn't really care about. Um, and so that was kind of like the early stage, then, then fast forward. So that's product development and branding and all that stuff. Then pre-launch, which is, all right, how do we let people know that Brunt's coming? So like three months before we actually launched, had a single boot to sell, um, we let the world know that Brunt was coming in a pre-marketing campaign. Um, we knew our customer, uh, loved a lot of things like hats, hard hat stickers, uh, t-shirts. Um, and so we developed a referral program so to speak that was that was led with you know brand evocative creative it told the world we're cutting out the direct you know we're cutting out the retailer our pricing is going to be incredible high quality boots um and for sharing that message those videos and those concepts they would get rewarded with branded merchandise before we had boots and so that was what kind of fed the engine early on to build a, a community and email list how big of a list were you able to develop with that so that list, uh, hard to remember. Back thousands, with, hundreds. Yeah, thousands. It was thou. It was definitely thousands. Maybe even up to ten thousand. Um, 
but we had some people on email, but then we had some people that were following our social accounts as well. Right. And, and, and sometimes both, but sometimes one or the other. Um, some people just paying attention, like, Hey, I'm going to keep an eye on this, this, you know, people had no idea are our boots going to suck. Are they going to be cheap? Are they going to fall apart? Yeah. Are these guys scammer? Are they just, you know, drop shipping from Alibaba? Like yeah. they had no idea. So there was a lot of like skepticism and, but we built that momentum and, 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 and I reached out to a lot of people and influencers in the community personally to develop a lot of relationships so that they knew like, Hey, there's, there's a real person behind this and a real company. It's not, you know, uh, the real story real story and then um yeah and that was kind of how we he let the world know and then and then come launch you know we were sold out of our, our you know our marquee boot in in like you know i think it was seven days or eight days and and then we brought it in again then we sold out again and then we brought it in again and we're sold out now so That's um, amazing can we can we just go back to the mechanics a little bit of building this list so were you yeah. so so people were rewarded not just for signing up but for for advocating that's they got the hats for actually bringing on yeah so the people. mechanic the mechanic was um so so you'd hit the brunt site at the time brunt site didn't exist you'd hit the brunt site through it likely a video that i we created that said hey beautiful you know boot sexy content with with yeah. our brand value prop yep. then click through you get to the site you put your email address in to get uh free shipping for life and um and then i forget the exact mechanism but if you referred one friend you got the hard hat stickers right and, and you want the barrier to get the first referral because if someone knows how to learns how to refer then it's really easy so you want one not like five but so get the hard hat stickers out there then at like three three or five it was get the um get the beanie then at 10 or 15 it was get the hat at 25 it was get the t-shirt and so there was these different levels and as people would, so they, you get a code. So you put in your email address, Eric at, you know, D to C pilot house, uh, you get a custom code linked to you. And then you could blast that on social or share it an email or text. And as people would sign up with your link, you'd see your count go up. And as your count went up, you get an email that said, you can claim your free hat, claim your free beanie. And they would, uh, they would claim it and then we'd fulfill it. Nice. And then we got a ton of branded merch out into the market. Right. Within this niche environment with, with these people that when they think something's cool and they see that a brand speaking to them in a way that the, the legacy brands haven't, they're more likely to share it with their tight knit network of, of, of contractors yep. and, and workers. I'd love to know a little bit. It's funny. I was talking with Thomas about it. And he's like, cause he's, he's uh, from a construction family as well. And he was, he's like construction. Instagram is crazy. Can yes. you talk a little bit about the, like the construction community and, and what that's been like? Yeah. So it is voracious. They, you know, the community generally was late to the game on social early on, but, but is literally like leapfrogged the rest of the world. Um, they were, you know, in the Facebook era, they probably missed Facebook early on, but they would have gotten onto it fast and in there in communities and private groups and all this stuff. But, um, and then Instagram, we're kind of late too, but they have leapfrog. They are like the most voracious on TikTok. So if you go to TikTok, it's like, you know, it's like 15 year old, uh, boys and girls. And then it's like, uh, it's like construction workers and <laughs> trades and workers. nurses and nurses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, I'm probably, you know, I'm getting fed the algorithm. So it means a little heavy for what I'm looking at, but, mm -hmm. um, more so the construction workers, not the, not the young, uh, folks, but so they, um, but so they've caught up now and now they're, they're highly engaged and it's, they are, they, they comment more, they like more, they banter more. It's a little bit like their blog or their Reddit and they'll go back and forth or they're, they're highly engaged. Whereas, um, 
Whereas like the fashion consumer, the, the, the Henry's of the world are like scrolling, consuming as much content as possible, not really engaging much. These people are highly engaged. And so the, and there's influencers the, as well, right? There's actually, there's like, influencers, so, yeah, yeah. Who's a big construction influencer. So I'll, so yeah, so I'll explain the word, the world's different. So it's much longer tail. There are, you know, in the world of fashion, you have the Kim, Kim Kardashians and the Kylie Jenner's that have, you know, 50 million followers. And if you get them to do something, they can sell a lot of product or do in this world, the most potent people are sometimes have 10 or 15,000 followers. And, 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 and I've got, we, and we work with people, 250,000. There's no, there's no folks that are like the 10 or 20 plus million that, that don't exist at all. No, but the bigger they get, it seems like the less powerful and potent they actually are. Mm. It's the niche and the micro and like the community and in their trade and in their craft. And so, uh, so that's a little bit of our secret, you know, uh, secret sauce is unlock. How do you unlock that at scale? Because there's a lot of hard work and, um, you need to, you need to reach, you got to talk to a lot of people and how do you find them? And, but it's a very long tail. There's a big sea of them out there. Um, versus just landing the Kim Kardashian or, or think of like Tim, the tool man Taylor, not that he's one, but like, you'd be like, how much can we pay you to post? And, and he'd sell a million dollars with the boots that doesn't exist. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just love people making home improvement references. That's a, that's a classic show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, with your audience of it, authenticity is so critical that something like a Kylie Jenner with 50 million followers, whatever, like wouldn't come through in the same way. These people exactly. are sniff bullshit pretty fast i would imagine yeah, exactly exactly they would say if she promoted a brunt they would say okay those boots aren't for me clearly yep. they're they're not they're not the real deal it would have a negative impact for sure yeah exactly there's there's a couple things i wanted to get to what like one it was maybe even more for the beginning a little bit just about like i, I remember my first day of like lock when when lockdown first was was announced in canada i'm like what is the world going to be like how much is going to shut down and i remember like i was, went on a bike ride and i but i rode past a construction site and they hadn't blinked. You know what I yep. mean? They, they, yep. they were just working. And I just realized, okay, none of that's going to stop. Like, this is all going to be essential. Like, what, what has the, the market done uh, kind of since COVID? Yeah, so COVID hit and uh, had no clue what was going to happen, to be honest. I, you know, I was probably like, I was so heads down and I was working like crazy that I was like, didn't even realize that COVID had kind of hit when it did. And so... You know, I was I was getting calls from investors. You know, what's your plan for COVID? All that, and I was like, what are you talking about? You know, um, one of them was really pushing me to shut the whole business down and, and launch it actually now, which is really like this spring. Yeah, like wait it out. Who knows? Um, and then so I just literally like, luckily, all the guys in construction are my friends. So I literally just picked up the phone and started calling. I was like, what's going on? Are you getting fired? Are you getting laid off? Are your job sites getting shut down? They're like, and and they had gotten laid off. It was it was about like it was about 10 to 14 days. They, they got a lot of them got laid off, but it was like two weeks. And then they were, then they were deemed essential. So, which is very different than URI, mm-hmm. which is uh, they were able to go to work. They were able to go to the job site. They were able to do, and there's just like pre masks and all that. It was like, Hey, they're doing whatever essential work and, and they're creating the infrastructure that's keeping building hospitals and building houses and all this stuff. And so, so there was a quick blip, but by the time I was, you know, I, I didn't move too fast. I was like, you know, we're taking it day by day. I'm not shutting this down. But by the time I was getting to the conclusion of like, hey, where's this going? They were already back to work. And it's like, hey, this is very clear. The, these guys and gr- girls are going back to work. They missed two weeks out of the year. And um, 
they're deemed essential. And the, the good news is they're not buying these products as discretionary items. They're buying them to do their jobs. So they're going to keep buying them. And, and, and then my thesis was, hey, our, we're offering a great value at a time where people are wallet conscious the most, even if they're employed and they're essential, they still don't know. By the way, they could be unessential next week. They could be unessential next month. The world could shut down. So I thought it was like the perfect storm to launch the business. And so uh, so we, we, I convinced all the investors that, Hey, this is a good idea. Let's trudge ahead. We, we put a hiring freeze in place, which was painful because we had a very small team doing the work of what was supposed to be twice the size at that time. And, um, and just powered through and actually got the business launched a month or two earlier than we actually planned because we knew the customer was going to be really receptive to it. And so it was like, at first shut the business down, wait till a year. Then it was like, wow. Uh, these uh, customer, this is incredibly stable. And then three was like, actually, how fast can we get it launched? Because now's the perfect time to launch it. So it, it was like a 360. The perfect storm of, of traffic. It's also not a, not conspicuous consumption. These are things that people have to buy, you know, once or twice a year or more, uh, yep. regardless. Like it's not something that it's not a luxury for people, right? So if they find right. that they can save and, and get a brand that like, you know, an up and coming And they brand. couldn't go to stores at the time. So yeah. ship the home, like it, everything kind of aligned. It was kind of crazy. That's so cool. I want to talk about ads a second here because I was taking a look at your your the ads that you have and they they look great. You've got a, a really great diverse uh, sort of cross section of ads. Are, are, do you do the ads internally or do you do those with an agency? Yep. So uh, so all creative we create ourselves. So I my, myself and uh, our marketing manager we everything that that goes out that the customer sees I, I always want my eyes on um, just because I've been at the deepest and and I can spot in a second if it's on brand or if it's off brand. Um, and that's very hard. You know, you can't really put those controls in place. It's just, you, you have the instinct or you don't. Um, and then, so we, so we create a lot of our stuff that, that way, right. Uh, with, with, with experts, right. We have art direct, we have a team of partners that are like, you know, I don't create anything. I don't photograph anything. Mm. Um, they do all the, the, the beautiful work, but tying it all together, right. And, and reviewing it and approving it, making sure it's on brand is, is under my purview. Um, and then we have, um, and then we have partners that 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 help us run our media and, and all that right across uh, the different channels, and we're always testing new channels and, and all that. And so, um, uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a large team effort of a bunch of very talented folks that are that are very skilled in in they're not generalists, right? So they're yeah. they're creative. There's copywriters. There's photography. There's videographers. And then there, and then there's running the media, and then there's analyzing the media, and so it's it's a it's a group effort across the board, and um, yeah, that's how we kind of do it. I don't know if you have your hands on the control panels to this level to be able to speak to, it and just tell me if not. But I, I'm I'm wondering with a business like yours where inventory is going to be a going concern, um, yep. and you're good, so there's some exclusivity in what you're running already. Like, how has the return on ad spend been in your ads? I imagine it's fairly high considering your niche and your brand. Yeah. So, uh, return on ad spend, which I won't share is, is incredible, but, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but what's important is, you know, going out of stock and in stock, which, which like we talked about is, 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 a, is an optically, it's a good thing from, from, Oh, that's great. You're out of stock. Um, the challenge is you then have to manage turning off ads, turning, you know, and we're running multivariate ads at any given time, you know, any given time we probably have 25 different versions, um, of any single ad, we probably at least have three different versions, speed, color, uh, text overlay, 
maybe just intro or copy below. And so when you go out of stock, you got to shut a lot of that stuff down. And then when you come back in stock, you got to turn it back on and ramp it back up. And, and the platforms, at least the Facebooks of the world, the Instagrams of the world, they don't like you starting and stopping. So you get penalized for a lot of that stuff. And so, um, so yeah, so, so we've been able to navigate it only because we are maniacally focused on every single customer that comes in the door, even as we scale. And so every single day, the first thing I do when I wake up is I looked at, I look at detailed customer performance from the day before. It's all I care about. What, who are we getting them? Where are we getting them from? Was it first click? Was it last click? Was it, you know, was it someone off our email list that maybe didn't need to buy a pair of boots last month or two months ago, but they bought. Um, and we watched that, like, that's our, that's our oxygen. And so, um, and you have to, uh, because that's where things can go upside down pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I'm just curious about your ROAS. I, I love sexy ROAS numbers, but I won't, I won't push it. Uh, but, uh, very cool. So you're on, you're on multiple platforms. I, do you sell on Amazon? Uh, we do not sell on Amazon. Um, it's a, it's a definitely consideration, right? So there's, you know, as I think about the future we're we're purely direct consumer, um, as you think about, I think about the world, you think about Amazon and you think about Walmart or the world, and then you think about re- physical retail and they all have their benefits. They all have their negatives. Um, you know, with Amazon, you know, you pay their fees and, in, but, but it's cheaper than retail fees. And so you could argue going on to Amazon playing on in their, in their field. Um, you know, the challenge with Amazon is, you know, they're pretty threatening, right? If you start to see a lot of success, then all of a sudden, you know, runt boots are going to show up uh, tomorrow and they're yep. not going to apologize for that either. And they so, might be able to build them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. They, they might. So, um, so there's that consideration set. Then you have um, the other marketplaces like Walmart's become a pretty big marketplace and all that, but, but we're, we're, you know, we're at a premium for that, for that retailer in the work boots page, right? Their average work boots below $79. Yep. Uh, we probably could get a lot of people to trade up, but it's just a little bit of a mismatch. And then you think about the physical retail world, uh, which which right now is not you know the greatest thing to think about. But but six months from now is probably going to be bounced back. And how does that work? Because we have direct consumer margins and pricing. How do you make a relationship like that work? That's fruitful for them and for us. And so channel diversification, top of mind all the time. But we're growing at such a clip that that we don't haven't needed it, needed it yet. And then the other one, so those three, and then the fourth is international, as you can imagine. So D to C, but just then going outside of the country. Totally. Canada. Can well, so Canada has a funny relationship with Canada. So our boots are ASTM certified. And so that means they get stamped inside of the boot. They have to meet that's this is part of the reason it's hard to get into work boots. They have to get certified. If you want to make a real work boot that has these safety features, ASTM, American Safety Testing Measurements Standards. And they certify the boots. They certify the safety toe, the slip resistance, the EH rating, the waterproof, a bunch of stuff. And then the boot gets stamped inside of the tongue so that if someone goes to a job site and someone wants to, their boss wants to inspect their OSHA, they can look and say, all right, that meets these certifications. Canada has its own standard called the CSA, Canadian Safety Association, yeah. different than the ASTM. Um, and so to there's two paths. One is I could just start selling my boots into Canada and I, we have a lot of interest from people who are just, I want to buy them. Yeah. But they actually would be on a job site illegal. 
Oh, interesting. Because they're not so if OSHA, so if they're equivalent of OSHA up there. I don't even know what it is. It might be OSHA, but shows up, they would not pass because they don't meet CSA standards. But there's so much interest for our product that people are like, I don't really care. Like, or like I'm a plumber, I'm a framer, like yeah. I'm not gonna get inspected at all. But but so so then but if you want to go uh, above board like full CSA, you have to have a, a set of boots that gets certs Canadian safety association certified and so that's the solution to go into canada so two now i have two pools of inventory so you will get there it's just okay. when love it um very very interesting so one of the things i noticed when i went to go check out and and see see if you had anything in my size i, I couldn't find something just because i think right now like there, there's some some low stock but you mm -hmm. always have that ability to do uh pre-orders and to order, yes. for, I wonder how that functionality works. That's something that we, we, we've done with a bunch of our clients um, yep. when we've had inventory issues and it's been worked quite well to the point where we even still run ads to, to pre-orders at times. Yep. yep. So yeah, so it's been phenomenal because, because we've sold out so fast, um, our customer, now you're going to lose people. You're not going to convert as well when you're in pre-order because you have to wait some period of time, whether it's weeks or months or whatever. Um, but because our customer you know, can wait for a boot. Like if they're like, Hey, I'm thinking about getting a new pair of boots. They probably could wait for four weeks or so. They don't, there's some people who are like, I have a hole in my boot. I need it tomorrow. But there's a lot of people like, Hey, it's springtime time to get a new pair of boots. So pre-order works really, really well for the people that are like, Hey, I, you know, whatever. I can wait a few weeks. No big deal. Combined with um, the fact that we've been sold that we sell out in such fast spurts that it's like, this is your only chance to really probably get the product. Um, and then you have, you know, you have a small segment of people that will wait for them to come in stock and then they miss them and then they get really mad at you and you're like, well, they were available for pre-order in every single size. And I understand you didn't want to like pre-purchase them, but everyone else did. And so just that's the way it is in the game. So, um, we use it as a, a, a lifeline right now. You could probably manipulate it and use it in like some creative ways to like drive some demand and stuff. But like it's it's complicated enough to manage it to actually fulfill demand. And 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 so there's uh, there's it's a, it's a very powerful tool is what I'll say. And how you use it can be very powerful. But right now for us, it, it just helps us continue to stay in business when we basically have nothing in stock. Uh, one of the other things that I wanted to touch on too, uh, was some of the other, the other innovation that I, that I kind of learned about with, with your boots that, uh, has a pretty profound effect on returns. Can you yes. uh, articulate that? Yeah. So, so all of our boots, so they all come as a regular fit. So if you're a size 10, these would come as a 10 regular, but, uh, but what ha what's happened is so widths are a big thing in work boots. And most people don't like my dad has narrow feet. He has to buy special shoes. Like most people pay no attention to the width of, of your, your yep. shoe. But if you're working in them every day, you better make sure it's right, I guess. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so in our boots, what we've done is, so every boot comes as a regular fit. So that will be a, um, so like what, what size are you, for example, I'm 11. I don't even know my width. I, I I'm, I, yeah, so you're, you're probably, so you're standards. You're 11, yeah. you're 11, you're 11 regular, which is essentially a D width. Okay. Regular is D. Um, and, but E and EE, so wide and double wide are very common, especially in work boots. And so what we did is, so all boots come as, as a 11 regular, which would probably fit you. Yeah. But come winter, you might, so there's two scenarios. You might want to wear really thick socks in the winter 
and you actually need more room and the boot's going to be too tight. Um, but more common than not is you, you might order the boots from us, but you're really an 11 double E you're a wide foot. So this boot, you try it on the box. It's, it's too narrow. You're like, ah, these didn't work. So what we did is we built the boot around a system that, so this is our insole, triple air insole, super cushy memory foam on the top. It's like incredible. But underneath that is this, is this shim, so to speak, or this insert that's three millimeters tall. But you take that out and it says, uh, leave me in for a regular fit, defit, take me out for a wide fit. Take that out, put that aside, put the real insole where the cushion is back into the boot. This boot just turned from an 11D or a regular to an 11 wide EE. So that boot, which in their customers early on didn't believe it's so like, that's going to change the fit. And now we have customers that are like going off and read it and like, I cannot believe Brunt has created this thing that actually works incredible. The boots fit. And so you put the boot back on and it's, it relaxes the boot because what happens is, is as the, it's hard to explain, but the foot sits here as yeah. it's at 11, 11 regular. And then you take that insert out and it drops down. Yeah. And now yeah. the left to the right just got wider. Yeah. And so it's really hard to pull that off because you have to build the boot start from the last of the boots lasted around, around the EE and then stack it up to a regular fit. And no one's else, no one else is doing this. No one else is doing this. I'm sure we're going to get copied, you know, in the next few weeks. Uh, yeah. by the way, it, took us, it took us two years to pull it off. So, um, you know, people smarter than us, better than us with more money than us, they're going to figure it out. But it's not it's not easy to pull off and not have your and not mess it up. Right. Because retur- if you don't pull that off perfectly, your return rates are going to go through the roof. And that and, and people just don't return these. Right. Like just with that ability no, the to, return rates to customize is, them. Yeah, exactly. The return rates are great com- in comparison because of that, because. It gives our customers a, a, a shot, a double shot at the fit if it didn't work out, out the first time. And do people buy, people have to buy very specific boots, like tailored to the width otherwise? Is that is that what people do with other boots? Or do so, people yeah, just wear boots that don't fit right? Yeah, so there's two. They either go with a boot that doesn't fit right or, or these other brands are carrying multiple pools of inventory of this same boot in yeah. the D and the E and the EE and the triple E and then, and then going narrow back down to a C or a B or whatever. It sounds like your dad's a B. So they're carrying multiple pools of inventory to, and there's, there's a band, you know, there's not a lot of narrows and there's not a lot of like five E's, but the band we're playing in hits the meat of the market. Very cool. Quick question. Do you do anything with SMS? Uh, We do not yet um, though. That's, that's on the roadmap though. Our customer is pretty uh, peculiar about their data and their information and even emails. They're very protective of. And so uh, you need a lot of like, you generally reason. need a lot of permission for, you a, for SMS. You need a really good reason too, right? Exactly. And, and in your case, it would be a re-up, right? right? Like it would be like when yep. you get that stock in for people that yep. want them, like that SMS at that moment could just be deadly, I think. Yep, yep. Not, yes, you need not you need, need a reason, but you also need, um. there's a trust factor that we've, mm. we've encountered that's like, you. if I give you, you better not pummel me and you better only, like if you send one email, let alone an SMS that, isn't right for them, then you're done because it's very, very inconvenient and feels uh, very authentic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got a a very authentic audience here. Very cool. Uh, Just one last question too, about, uh, about the loyalty. Like what are you seeing? People are buying these things one to two times a year. Uh, I I imagine they wear differently. So subscription could be a problem, but, but I'm curious, like what, what, what is your loyalty factor? Like for people that buy into the Brunt brand? Like, yeah, so it's been incredible. Um, 
so so they naturally should be buying right two pairs a year. We're we're actually still early from when we launched shipped our first boots for people to actually even be buying their second pair yet. Though we've we are massively beating expectations on repeat already, which is shocking because they shouldn't. Um, but there's the behavior is different. It's not because their other boots were out. They're either buying a different second style because they love the brand so much, or they are. Um, a lot of people will bought two out of the gate. So what some of these customers will do is they'll wear one pair on Monday, switch to another. They'll let them breathe as the yep. as thesis, so they'll last longer because they're wearing them, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. So they're sweating in them and all that stuff. So so we've had a bunch of that um, just on boots. But but what's crazy is the brand, which is very hard to quantify and qualify, and it's mostly because of all the time and energy we spend and how authentic it is, is incredibly powerful. And so with the power comes a lot of responsibility, you know, and it's dangerous. We could slap our logo on almost anything and, and sell it. And so you don't just want to, you know, that's a dangerous place to be because then you don't stand for anything. And now we're selling, I don't know, whatever you could, you were selling sweatbands and bandanas yeah. with our, with our logo on it. And so, but we've been very careful to curate items that tailor towards this lifestyle and this work lifestyle. And so, for example, um, you know, high vis t-shirts, uh, with our logo on it, which you need to wear on a job site. Nice. Um, so what's happened is not only are customers obviously already repeating with the products that, that we intended them to in the future, but they are voracious for the brand. And so they are buying everything from our hats, from our sticker sheets to our t-shirts. Beer cozies. Uh, uh the, this summer actually coming nice. out. Good. So, so, so they'll buy, they'll buy branded product because of the authenticity we stand for. And, um, and then the we, we have, so a, yeah, so we have, and we have a monthly box thing that where we, we have a hat and a t-shirt and then, a, and then an item, a, a item that we produce. And so koozies will be in one of those in the future, but that fits in the lifestyle, right? It's they're, they're wearing their hats or wearing their t-shirt on the job site. And then after work, they're having a drink of some sort on the weekend. And, and we're, we're there for that, that, uh, post work enjoyment. It's one of those great brands. It sounds good. It's also, it, it is, it just describes what it is in a kind of poetic way, which is interesting, right? Like these boots yep. bear the brunt. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, I, I think and it looks good. It sounds good. It's great. The one, the last thing I want to say was your podcast. I think this is, I think, yeah. you know, we have, we've succeeded so much so far uh, as an agency, you know, putting out this content and, and just having people kind of come to us. Uh, and, uh, and it sounds like you're doing the same thing. I mean, it, t t talk a little bit about your podcast strategy. Yeah. So we actually launched that first. So I launched that last February. So not this past February, two Februarys ago. Early on. And very early on, uh, almost a year before the business launched. And, um, and it was great. You know, we, the whole thesis for it is, you know, we're trying to, we want to make, you know, we, at the high level for brunt, right. We bear the brunt of the work day, right. With our products from our boots to our apparel, we want it to be as comfortable as possible as light on the wall as possible ship to your doors. You don't have to drive 45 minutes to the store. Your laces break will overnight into free. We're not going to charge you 20 bucks for laces, but the higher level for the brand is we want to bear the brunt of the work day for, for these workers. And so we created a podcast bucket called bucket talk to help peek behind the scenes of the trades of some of the most successful people in the trades, not necessarily monetarily, but people who are doing a really good job at winning in the trades because the gap that I saw was, Unlike in the business world where you can go find, you know, help and consumers and people who are, um, so as you have people that come in, um, 
to the trades. They don't have someone there they can go to and say like, hey, how do I like start my own landscaping or welding business or construction business or whatever it may be? There's those those like kind of like big brother mentors don't exist in the trades. The infrastructure is not there. And so we created a podcast that hopefully be a little bit of that where they can listen in and hear like the trials and the tribulations and like they jump and start a business like, well, how do I do like accounting? Like, how do I count and how do I invoice? Like very simple things. But like we're, we want to try to be a platform for that and long term create a community around that where some of these leaders can be can help guide them to, you know, to the right place or answer questions that are very, very simple. Or a lot of these people would be too embarrassed to actually ask publicly. Mm. You guys check all these boxes. You have you have a, such a unique uh, space that you're in. You have a novel approach to how you're doing it. You even got a podcast. I I just want to I just want to know where I can invest without even knowing your ROAS. Uh, I I think it's super exciting here. Last question, which is like a novelty question, we ask every guest. If we if the Canadian government said, okay, we we want to invest in Brunt, we want to give you a fifty thousand dollar grant, strings free. Uh, where would you put that $50,000 in your business right now? Um, brand awareness. So everyone that we can get to and explain the value proposition and what we're doing resonates incredibly well. The biggest thing is still, we're still, you know, seven months old. No one knows who we are, especially in Canada, especially in, in any in the United States. So, um, so getting that story out to a broader audience is the number one thing, right? Because we know the, the story resonates. Uh, it's just more people need to hear it. So you'd give it directly to Tim, the tool man, Taylor, I think you're saying. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> or Mike well, Rowe, I guess. Besides, Mike Rowe. besides inventory, besides inventory, but that's, uh, that's underway, but that is what it is. Uh, yeah. 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 Mike Rowe. Uh, so big awareness, um, early on, obviously dirty jobs. Um, you know, the big thing I see there is, uh, you know, he really resonated like with my dad. Right. And, and, and I was I was really young when I used to see him watch Dirty Jobs and I was a little before my time. But um, but that, he, you know, he's kind of he's kind of now become the godfather of space. Mm -hmm. And there, there's this void in like the modern version of that. Yeah. And, and instead of that being a person that that maybe is a brand. Right. That um, And so, um, yeah. So. So exactly. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to keep tabs. Uh, have you back on the on the podcast in the future once you, once you get this second round of boots through to everyone. Uh, it's been really nice chatting with you, Eric. And uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Peace. All right. Bye. Bye.